Let's pray and we'll dive into the word together. Heavenly Father, we come now and we approach your word with reverence. Father, I ask you to give your word relevance to each one this morning. Only you can take the words that I say and minister life to your people. So, Father, I ask you to make my tongue tongue this morning as the pen of a ready writer to equip and empower your people for life. Lord, these are not antiquated words. You said your words are spirit and they are life. So, minister spirit and life to us this morning. You know what we need above all else. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Last week, we introduced this thought of how to live through a bad day. We said if you're going to live through a bad day, there are three things that are critical. Number one, you have to learn to master the moment. We have to learn to master the moment. Jesus spoke from the cross and declared, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Even though Jesus uh, was the one who was suffering persecution and affliction, he mastered the moment. How many of you realize that you're not just a human being having a spiritual experience, but you are a spiritual being mastering your human experience? And if you're going to win in life and live successfully through your bad days, you have to master the moment. You don't let the moment master you. It would have been so easy for Jesus to just resign to what he was experiencing and say, oh, look at how these people treat me. Don't they know I'm the son of God? But Jesus mastered the moment and he took the power away from the people who were trying to hurt him. And he seized the moment. If you're going to navigate your bad days successfully, you have to take control. In fact, you should never give anybody permission to make you feel that way. You choose how others make you feel. And Jesus from the cross mastered the moment by forgiving those who sought to harm him. If you're going through a bad day, master the moment. Number two, uh, if you're going to make it through a bad day, help those who can't help themselves. Jesus looked to the two thieves hanging next to him. In fact, there was one who cried out to him for mercy. And Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. True story. This actually happened in Mississippi. There was a woman who had given, on, given up on life, and, and she went to a bridge, Mississippi River, stood on the bridge, and jumped in. What she didn't know was that there was a man there fishing. The man, in his desperation to help, jumps in to save this woman's life, only to realize that he couldn't swim. But instinctively, he says, I need to do something. And crying out, screaming, and drowning, this woman who was about to commit suicide turns around and saves him. (laughs) True story, headline in the newspaper in Mississippi. Drowning man saved by suicidal woman. If you're going to make it through a bad day, recognize that there might be people who are worse off than you. And the way you break the cycle of self-pity is to reach out and help somebody who may have less resources than you do to navigate their trouble. 
Jesus had infinitely more resources than this thief on the cross, and he found a way, even in his own pain, to help somebody out of their struggle. Number three, we said, don't transmit your trauma. Jesus is on the cross. He looks down at his mother and John, and he says, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. I don't know about you, but the way I'm wired is if I'm going through a bad time, I ain't worrying about nobody but me. I'm concerned about who's going to help me out of my trouble. But Jesus teaches us from the cross that the way you break the cycle and you break the pattern of a bad day is don't transmit your trauma. Don't pass it on to everybody else. Because it's human nature. Misery loves company. And in the midst of his own pain, he found a way. He became the solution to his mother's need and his best friend's need. That's how we live through a bad day. Number four, and this is where today's message actually begins. Jesus cried out from the cross in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever found yourself in that place? When God was silent in the midst of your trouble? When you wanted God to be your genie? And you thought that your wish would be his command? And that you could rub that lamp a couple of times and boof, God would jump out of the lamp? And that God was at your every beck and call? Here's the son of God on the cross going through a difficult place and a difficult season when he, he directs his most difficult questions to God. I grew up in a denomination where they said, oh, don't ask God. Where it was almost taboo to ask God hard questions. And here's the very son of God on the cross in the midst of his pain, living through his most difficult day. And guess what he does? He asks God, why? You know what that means? It means that God is okay with our most difficult questions. I'm talking to those of us who have the, 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 the tendency and the proclivity to internalize our pain. Strike number one. When you're going through a bad day, it's okay to direct your toughest questions to God. The problem is we don't turn to God because we have a tendency to blame God when life is falling apart. Why should I ask somebody for help who I think is the reason for the problem? Isn't that what insurance companies call them? Acts of God. Hurricane, act of God. Devastation, act of God. Isn't that how our theology is some of the times? Bad things happen. Oh, that's the judgment of God. That's the wrath of God. And we have bought into the deception and this lie that when bad things happen, there's an invisible God who's doing it to teach us a lesson. When the scripture says that God is love. 
And most of us turn away from God in our difficulty because we believe this suggestion, this lie, that it's God's fault. And we run away from God when we should run toward him. If you're going to make it through a bad day, direct your toughest questions to God. In fact, can I go a step further? Can I go a step further this morning, City Church, and simply suggest to you that you ask God, not man? The challenge is, when I'm going through a difficult time and I don't have the answers, is I turn to the ones closest to me. Because it's hard to have faith in a crisis, in a God you cannot see. And Cindy Church, sometimes when God is silent, it doesn't mean he's absent. That in your most difficult times, you have to learn to trust him, even when you can't trace him. Mm -hmm. He's there. He's there just like the teacher is there when you're taking a test. The teacher might be silent when you're stuck on question number 25, question number 26. But just because the teacher is silent doesn't mean he or she is absent. And what we do, and what we do in our desperation is we turn to man for our answers, <laughs> which isn't always bad. But let me tell you what Jim Collins said in his book, From Good to Great. Sometimes the problem is not which bus you own. Because you can be on the bus, going to the same destination with a whole bunch of people. My prayer is that everybody in this room is on the same bus and we're all heading to heaven. But you can also be on the right bus with the wrong people. Meaning... You're going to get to your desired destination, but by the time you get there, the people you rode the bus with got you so messed up that you are no good to anybody. It's not just about the bus that you're on. The even more important question is who you own the bus with. Listen to me, City Church. Job went through a difficult season in his life. It wasn't just one day. It was a matter of months. And the scripture says that when Job's best friends heard that he had lost everything, they came to see him. Don't you want friends like that? Who come to see you when life is hard, when life gets difficult? As you read the text in Job chapter 1 or chapter 2 at the very end, this is what the scripture says, that Job's friends came and they sat with him. And didn't say a word. For seven days. They just sat there. With Job. In his sorrow. Sometimes the best thing you can do for people is just be there for them. Now let me tell you when the problem started for Job. When his friends. Decided to open their mouths. And explain why Job was having the issues he was having. And the next 40 plus chapters are all about Job's friends 
telling him why he's having the problems that he's having, and it's his fault, it is God's fault. And if he had done this, this wouldn't have happened. And if he had done that, that wouldn't have happened. And for the next 40 plus chapters, Job is in spiritual misery, even greater than the boils on his skin because of his friends trying to explain what he was going through. In your most difficult situations and circumstances, be selective. Be selective about who you trust with your trouble. They might mean well, but you can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. So when you're going through a difficult day, recognize, number one, that God is not the source of your trouble, that God is the answer. And run to God first. I think that's one of the things that's missing today in the church because we've lost the art of prayer and we've lost the art of intimacy with God. That's something that the pastor does. The pastor prays. And I just go to church to hear what God told the pastor when he prayed. And we've lost this sense of intimacy with God. And that's why when, when, when life happens, when life happens, we feel helpless. And how many of you realize that the worst time to learn how to swim is when you're drowning? And that's what most of us do. We wait for the crisis to turn to God. Now, when I give you all my next point, you all going to say, Pastor Ray, you're vulnerable. I mean, you, you schizophrenic. But notice what Jesus does from the cross. Number five, Jesus said, I thirst. John chapter 19 and verse 30. If you're going to make it through a bad day, if you're going to make it through a bad day, be vulnerable. Admit your need and ask for help. So, well, hold up, Pastor Ray. I told you, say, don't ask nobody for nothing. No, I didn't say don't ask nobody for nothing. Forgive my grammar. I said, make sure that you own the bus with the right people. And if you're on the bus with the right people, you can be vulnerable with the right people. The problem is, the problem is, we haven't learned how to do friendships and relationships well. What year was this, baby? 1982, 1983, Houdini, friends. How many of us have them? Oh, oh snap. Y'all remember that? How many of y'all had the, 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 the Adidas, the Adidas tracksuit? Adidas, I mean, come on, Adidas right there. Who, Adidas right, who, who had that Puma? Puma, Beat Street from Beat, you had, you had Puma and Adidas. Come on, somebody. Friends. How many of us have them? Can I give you a couple of litmus tests? Whether that person in the selfie with you is really your friend? 
The scripture says a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. Not just the good times. At all times. At all times. And so being vulnerable is not about not telling anybody your business. The question becomes, do I have the right people in my circle? The scripture says a friend sticks closer than a brother. And if you have those kind of people in your life, you can be vulnerable. You can admit your need and you can ask for help. In fact, that's what the Bible encourages us to do. It says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know how we fulfill the law of Christ? It's by coming alongside people in their time of need. In fact, let's turn there. I'm calling it audible. Galatians 6. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. And I'm about to wrap up. Is this helping anybody yet? Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. If you're there, say amen. Notice what Paul's write, Paul writes to the church in Galatia. In fact, let's begin at verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. You know what Paul was saying? He says when, you, when someone goes through a difficult time, be the kind of person that they can trust enough that you would restore them gently. Unfortunately, the church has become guilty of friendly fire. No, it, here's what we do. We intentionally kill our wounded. And one of the reasons that most people struggle through their bad days is because they can't be vulnerable. And the reason they can't be vulnerable is they've got no one in their circle they can truly trust. Because there's nobody doing what Galatians 6 and 1 says. If somebody gets caught in a trespass, red-handed, here's the measure of your spiritual maturity. Not to expose them. Not to be critical of them. Not to tell everybody what they did. But to restore that person gently. And then he goes on in verse 2 and says that we ought to bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Why? Because if anybody thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not another. Notice what verse 5 says. Again, this is going to sound like a huge contradiction because in verse 2, he says, bear one another's burdens. And then in verse 5, it says, for each one shall carry his own load. What's Paul talking about? Can I spend some time and just talk about that a little bit? About the whole idea of being vulnerable with people? This is, this is the actual language. Bear one another's burdens means that when someone is going through a difficult time, Come alongside them and help them carry the load. The reason you can be vulnerable with your friends is because these people love you enough to help you through your difficult time. 
But verse 5 is interesting because it says, let each one bear his own load. You know what that word load means? That word means invoice. You, you, anybody got a pickup truck? Isn't it crazy how when somebody needs to move, you're the first one they call? <laughs> you ain't heard from them in years. But they know you got a pickup truck, though. And you're the first one they call. So guess what you do? You go over to the house. They load up your truck. You do three or four trips. And you get them all moved out the apartment, out the house, right? That's what Paul is saying when he says, bear one another's burdens. But how many of you realize that long before Nebraska Furniture Mart and these other furniture stores were making home deliveries, right, you would get your friend, you would pick up the furniture and go home, right? What he's saying in verse 5 is, in verse 2, they can help you with your load, but only you can pay the invoice. Let me tell you about vulnerability. The people in your life are supposed to help you through your struggles, but ultimately, only you can pay the invoice for your bad decisions. It's one thing to ask somebody to help you move. It's an entirely different thing for you to ask them to pay for the furniture. And let me tell you about why a lot of relationships struggle is because we try to make our bad decisions everybody else's responsibility. Hey, bruh, I'm going to help you move this furniture. I ain't fitting to pay for that bill. And most of us wreck good relationships because we don't stop at help me get my furniture to my house we insist on people paying the bill for us. And let me tell you, if you look around and it seems lonely, when once there were a lot of people around you, it could be, it could be that your friends have walked away from you because you developed alligator hands. Somebody know what I'm talking about. Y'all seen the commercial? That one person who never picks up the tab, somehow their hand's too short to reach for the check. And relationships, you should not be in a relationship with somebody that's too expensive for you. And that's what most of us do. We develop alligator hands. Y'all know what I'm talking about. In fact, y'all laughing like y'all know exactly who in your life got alligator hands. Y'all know, don't you? It's too expensive being your friend. Because you don't only insist that I help you with the load. Man, I got to pay the invoice too. And so most of us go through life in... Because we've messed up those, it's amazing how we, we, we blame people. We blame everybody else when we could be the root cause of the problem. When you are the common denominator in all these wrecked relationships, 
you could have a blind spot. That it's not them, it could be you. What am I talking about here? Oh, how to make it through a bad day. Where am I? I'm about to wrap up. Uh, number six. Number six. I wanted to preach this morning, man. I had on this suit and wanted to preach, but I'm just having a conversation with y'all. Is that all right? Okay. Am I preaching? Good. Somebody said, preach, black man. Oh, they just said preach. You, you have. Is <laughs> that preach? You have permission to say black man. Come on, somebody. You have permission to say preach black man. Okay, here we go. Wakanda forever. Okay, what are we talking about here? Number six, number six. Okay, here we go. Number six. Number six. Jesus said it is finished. John chapter 19 and verse 30. If you're going to live through a bad day, you have to recognize that all pain has a purpose. And every trial has a timeline. All pain has a purpose. Every trial has a timeline. So the way Solomon said it is, uh, to everything. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1. To everything. That is an all-inclusive statement. It touches your life personally, individually. It touches your relationships, your finances. It touches your enterprise. Everything you set your hands to. To everything, there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. Everybody in this room is touched by Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 1. Now, the reason I love that verse is Solomon is saying a couple things in that verse. He's saying a couple of things. To everything, there is a season. Listen to me, City Church. Seasons are sequential, and they are cyclical. Winter, spring, summer, then fall. Then again, winter, spring, summer, and then fall again. Then winter, spring, summer, and then fall. Everything in your life follows a rhythm and a pattern. The challenge with most of us is we're still using summer uh, 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 techniques in the middle of winter because we don't recognize the season that we're in. Imagine, imagine being in, the, in August summer in, in Dallas, still rocking your big old bubble jacket. And that's what most of us do in life, though. We use what worked in the last season, and we wonder why it ain't working in this season because we don't recognize the shift and the change that work worked then may not necessarily work now. And most of us go through life when we just one trick ponies. And when life happens, we wonder why, man, I used to be able to do this and it used to work and this used to work and this, and we don't recognize that the seasons have changed because there's winter, spring, summer, then fall, then winter, spring, summer, and then fall. Recognize the season that you're in, and it will de determine how you respond. Not only that, every season has a time frame, approximately three months. What that means is as surely as this season started, good or bad, this season will end. I don't know what you're going through now. In your life personally, but I know this with every fiber of my being, that this too shall pass. 
Because to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. All pain has a purpose and every trial has a timeline. Let me tell you the difficulty, church. I'm about to wrap up. Is that my second closing? Uh, third. Man, I thought I had two more. Come on, somebody. I, I do have two more? Okay, two more. Okay. Um, man. It's easy to worship. And it's easy to praise at the beginning of a thing. Because there's so much excitement and so much anticipation of what it's going to look like, what it's going to be. You're excited about that new beginning. It's easy to be happy, to rejoice, and to shout and dance. Uh, in fact, it's easy to be excited and happy and celebrate at the end of a thing because you know how it ends. But can we get a little bit of worship in the middle? When you've gone too far to turn back, and you're too frustrated to move forward. I'm talking to the people that find themselves in the middle of something now. That's where your faith will be tested. Not at the end of the thing when the thing you prayed for has manifested. Not at the beginning of the thing when you're hopeful, but in the middle when ain't nothing happening. Can you continue to worship? Can you continue to be faithful? The scripture says concerning Joseph, until the word of the Lord came to pass, God's word tested Joseph. For 13 years, Joseph was in the middle, just stuck in this place of uncertainty, wondering if there's any purpose to continue on, to even, to even continue to try. I'm talking about when it's easier to throw in the towel than to go on. Hmm? Finding yourself right there somewhere in the middle. Jesus found himself somewhere in the middle. He had come to the end of his earthly ministry, but he hadn't gone to the grave and he hadn't resurrected. But in the middle, he declared, it is finished. Because Jesus recognized that all pain has a purpose and every trial has a timeline. I'm going to close with this. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. You know why Jesus could do that? Jesus could do that for this reason. Jesus looked not at what he was going through, but what he was going to. If you can't see beyond your bad day, if you can't see beyond your trouble, if you can't see beyond your pain, you will not muster the courage to go on. There's got to be a vision beyond what you're going through right now. And if we are honest with ourselves, we would say, Pastor, I can't see beyond where I am right now. I can't see it because sometimes trouble can be all-consuming. Trouble has a way of doing that. But notice Jesus' response in Hebrews chapter 12, and this is where I close. Let me begin reading at verse 1. Hebrews 12 and verse 1. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. I wish I had time to talk about it. And let us run with endurance. You know what God is saying to us in our seventh year? I believe it's not only going to give us a new beginning where we enter his rest, but he says run with endurance, man. Because the things that he calls us to, he doesn't call us to a sprint. He calls us to a marathon. And it's going to require endurance. He says, run the race that is set before you with endurance. How do you do that? How do you keep putting one foot ahead of the other, one foot in front of the other? He says, you look unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Notice this, who for the joy that was set before him, he saw beyond the cross now, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. You know why Jesus could say it is finished? Because Jesus saw City Church 2,000 years down the road. You know why Jesus could say it is finished? It's because he saw you. Jesus endured the cross because he saw something that was so much greater and something that transcended the pain he was going through in the moment. I say this to you, City Church. If you find yourself having a bad day, the way you get through it is you see something better, and you see something greater than what you're going through in this moment. If you're struggling in your marriage, see your husband as the man of God God created him to be. Begin to call those things that are not as though they were. Begin to speak life over your circumstances and your situation. Jesus talked to, commanded us to speak to our mountain, not to tell everybody about our mountain. And we've got to get back to that place where you and I are beginning to live and walk by faith and not by sight. We've lost something, I think, as believers. Where when life gets hard, we just resign to it. When what God is calling us to do, man, is to, is, to, is to get up, man, and begin to run our race with endurance, not throwing in the towel, but finding ourselves in the middle, pressing in like we've never pressed before. Number seven, Jesus says, into your hands I commit my spirit. Luke chapter 23 and verse 46 and this is what I wrote simply, surrender what you cannot salvage. Surrender what you cannot salvage. Being in ministry since 2000, about 18 years, full-time vocational ministry, I have seen people invest their time and their energy in things that should stay dead. When Ezekiel, when the Lord took Ezekiel to the Valley of Dry Bones, the Lord gave him a vision, and he saw this huge valley filled with bones. And this is what God asked him. He said, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Can these bones live again? Notice Ezekiel's response, because most of us, I think, skip Ezekiel's response. You know what Ezekiel's response was? Ezekiel said, Lord, you alone know. Ezekiel didn't make any assumptions. He didn't presume to know what he was supposed to do in that situation. He said, God, I see this valley of dry bones. 
Only you know whether these bones need to stay dead or if these bones need to live again. And let me tell you, most of us are struggling and stuck in bad days because we're calling things that should stay dead back to life. And the things that should come back to life, we ignore because we're so focused on the things that should stay dead when we should be investing in the things that should come back to life. And we don't even stop long enough to ask God's opinion. And we're trying to save and we're trying to salvage things that need to stay dead. Surrender to God what you cannot salvage. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that. And he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. I will surrender to you the things that I can't fix myself. The things that I can't restore myself. And that, my friends, is how you and I live through a bad day. You master your moment. Don't let the moment master you. Learn to help those who can't help themselves. This is a big one. This is a big one. Number three, don't transmit your trauma. Because remember, remember, this is amazing, right? I, I said it last week, right? When we go through our bad time, we want for people to get in the pit with us. And how many of you realize when you vomit on people, you feel much better, but now they got to deal with the cleanup. And it's amazing, it's amazing, it's amazing how when somebody gets sick, they don't throw up on themselves. They go so the people in front of them, they don't want to get that mess on themselves. And that's what we do when we transmit our trauma. We don't want to deal with the cleanup. But we want everybody else to deal with it. Number four. Number four. God can handle your toughest questions. Ask him, not man. Number five, be vulnerable. Number six, all pain has a purpose. Every trial has a timeline. Number seven, surrender what you cannot salvage. And here's why. Because God never wastes our pain. And I'll ask the team to come now as we close, the singers. God never wastes our pain. And so you say to yourself today, Pastor Ray, I'm going through. God will use even this, and he will cause all things to work together for your good and ultimately his glory. And he will help you live through this bad day or this bad season in your life. Let me pray for you this morning. Amen? Yeah. Let me pray for you this morning, City Church. And Wendy, why don't you come? As we close. You know, Wendy alluded to a season in, you know, our lives and our our marriage when, uh, man, I had thrown in the towel. So when I say this, it's not just words. It's not just good preaching. I had given away all my musical instruments and, uh, and was out of ministry for four years, asking God, can you use me? Can you use this life again? It was the toughest thing, man, to even lift up a song of worship to the Lord, man, to even pick up my guitar, man. Like when, well, it, it, was, it was the toughest, the toughest thing. And sometimes we go through those seasons. 
And this morning, I believe that there might be some who find themselves in that place where, where maybe even in your marriage, in your business, you're just like, whatever, and given up. I want to pray for you this morning because he is still the God of the resurrection. And there are some things that you have given up and released and let go that he wants to breathe new life into. I believe that with all my heart. Dreams that have been lying dormant that he wants to breathe new life into.